0: Hello everyone, and welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Justin Scase, Senior Editor of the EHS Daily Advisor and Safety Decisions Magazine. Now, professional development is essential to advancing a career in any occupation, and of course, the environment, health, and safety field is no exception. There are many opportunities for development out there for the 21st century safety professional, ranging from traditional certifications to supplemental training to brand new educational programs supported by digital delivery methods. Now with so many options, and in many cases so little time, EHS pros may wonder what's the best course of action for continuous career development. While every individual's path will vary, our guest today has some great ideas on how you can proactively learn and develop your professional knowledge not just to the benefit of your own career, but also to the benefit of your organization as well. Joining us today for our EHS professional development discussion is Jill James, Chief Safety Officer with Vivid Learning Systems, an HSI company. Jill has been a workplace safety professional for 24 years, with 14 years of experience as a senior OSHA safety investigator with the state of Minnesota, and nearly a decade in the private sector as a safety program manager. She has a Master of Industrial Safety degree and a bachelor's degree in community health education, and has worked in settings ranging from medical clinics to education to bio and life sciences in support of the poultry industry. Jill has been at Vivid for the past five years, and she has a passion for supporting her fellow safety professionals, whether she's keynoting a conference, appearing in Vivid's Supervisor Safety Tip video series, blogging about workplace safety issues, or hosting her podcast, The Accidental Safety Pro. So Jill, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us here at EHS on Tap. You're welcome,
1: Justin. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're welcome. Now, let's uh, get started off by talking about some of the more traditional avenues of professional development, such as certifications, like Certified Safety Professional, CSP, and uh, Certified Industrial Hygienist, CIH. What sorts of credentials and certifications should be getting the attention of EHS pros today, and what kind of impact can they make on their careers?
1: Hmm. Well, uh, Justin, I guess um, as far as what should be getting attention and credentials and certifications, I'm going to leave that to the academics okay. um, to answer. There's, you know, there's over 900 safety de- de- degree programs in the United States at wow. college campuses all over the place, mm-hmm. and there's various certifications from organizations like the Board of Certified Safety Professionals, as you've indicated, that people can pursue and go after, and I think it would be interesting to talk with the academics about Mm. what are are they seeing for trends, what are they seeing as advantages, and what is the best leverage for people at various life stages um, in their career path, as it were. Uh, But what I would like to talk about is what is the impact um, that education can have? And I guess um, for me personally, since you know, I can't talk as an authority for everyone who has a who has various levels of education in uh, in safety and health, but mm-hmm. I can talk about my own experience and what it did for me. Sure. And um, yeah, and so you had, um, I think you had indicated that I have a a master's degree in industrial safety. Right. First mm-hmm. of all, first of all, you know that was really obscure thing I had never heard of. Um, back when I began pursuing it, when I was finishing my bachelor's degree, it just sort of stumbled upon me through an internship opportunity um, in safety. And I thought, well, gosh, what is that? I had, you know, no one talked about workplace safety. And so by way of impact, I think that that's still something that can be discussed today with people who are thinking of pursuing careers, um, Mm -hmm. particularly when they're looking at college, like, You know, does anyone talk about safety? And so, I think it's on us as a profession to be continually educating um, the next generation that this is really a viable a viable place um, to pursue a career. And so, what did a formal education give me by way of impact? You know, and I look back at what I learned and what I've leaned into the most in the workplace settings where I've been. Um, One of the one of the strengths that I continually go back to is how to read and interpret regulatory text mm. and to take and to take it even further um, to really look at my sources when I'm doing research in my field. Um, right. Anyone who's listening to this who has done the work of workplace safety knows that there isn't just one place to go for everything. There's lots of... Um, consensus building um, standard organizations who are doing research and and when we're in our practice doing our work, every day is a new adventure where something may come our way that we've never heard of before or maybe we've heard a little bit about, and we need to immediately pivot and start teaching ourselves and finding those resources. And I think the background that my academics gave me in terms of reading and interpreting regulatory texts and really looking for sources that are credible is is what i do almost every day when i'm looking things up you know i might be i I always go to the OSHA website first as my place Mm -hmm. to look um however as anybody knows who's ever read regulations it's kind of oh man you got to really slog through it and so if i'm going if i'm just going to use a search engine to search the topic then the first thing i do when i start reading articles is try to figure out the source Mm. And the source and the sourcing. And if I can bring that back to a consensus building organization, someone with credibility, um, I'm really looking at what are those citations? What are they referencing before I'm going to use that as something to educate myself or educate someone else with? And so I would say that the impact my education had on me, like that is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition to, of course, a a lot of traditional safety practices that are teaching me hazard recognition skills and, um, you know, the hierarchy of controls, things like that. And, you know, very specific things about life safety or whatever it is. But if I'm going to look at the impact of that education as a whole and the thing that I use most often, Mm -hmm. it's really it's really that, um, you know, knowing your resources, knowing your sources and knowing how to interpret and where to search for the information that you need.
0: Great. So, to to talk a little bit more about uh, you know formal education, it seems like it's playing a little bit of a a stronger role today. You know, when I talk to some EHS professionals who have been on the job for a while, uh, you know, you mentioned that your master's program was you know a relatively rare thing, and a lot of these uh, EHS pros that I talk to that have been on the job for a long time, they when I asked them how they got started, quite a few of them say they just fell into the safety position because they were experts, you know, in that particular industry, or some of them came over from human resources or someplace like that. <laughs> Whereas now, some of the more recently graduated safety professionals, they're coming out of college with degrees specifically for safety, environmental compliance fields, or, you know, risk management. So do you think this specialized formal education will become more of a career necessity in the coming years?
1: Um, Maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think we're I think we're definitely at a point where we're seeing a shift. But to back up what you were talking about before about older safety professionals, you know, when when I started in this field, you mentioned 24 years ago, I looked to I looked to my mentors and how, right. how did my mentors come into the practice and what did that look like back then? And, and they were um, first all male and mm-hmm. all of them were former military mm-hmm. and um, none of them had formal educations in safety but they all had different aspects where safety had touched their careers, particularly in the military and one of mm. my mentors in, in the labor movement. And he had been tapped by the governor at the time to become an investigator with OSHA because of his work in labor in mm. in the automotive industry. And so, you know, the, the roots of who started as those as those safety professionals um, in the wayback back machine uh, when OSHA was first adopted, you know, kind of had um, many of those those attributes of, uh, you know, former military or out of the labor movement, that kind of that kind of thing and then as our field has progressed um it's you know it's it's a little bit ambiguous our our field um in that there isn't like a direct path like you have to have x y and z credentials to be able to practice as a safety professional, it's not like, let's say, the nursing practice or profession, rather, where you know you can start out as a as a certified nursing assistant and move into a a licensed uh, practical nurse and then into an RN as a registered nurse. You know, safety doesn't have mm. that um, expectation in order for you to do the work. And so, right. I think I think that we will will likely always continue to see people who are learning um, at their workplace, they mm-hmm. um, fell into the job, as you said, mm-hmm. um, and they just, they have to figure it out. And then there will be those of us who have the formal backgrounds in education. And I think we are going to continue seeing both and because we don't have, we don't have that defined, like, you must have this in order to do the work, um, if, if that if that makes sense. And I, and I think that- yes. And I think that as, as you you know, as you indicated, people fall into the profession. That's exactly what my podcast, the Accidental Safety Pro pun, really intended by way <laughs> of how you accidentally came into the practice, uh-huh. is. And every single person that I talk to has this winding road of how they came into it. And some of them are um, uh, traditionally. Uh, Educated in 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 safety and health practices, and some have degrees in psychology. I've talked to people who have a degree in journalism or biology, mm-hmm. um, or no degrees at all, um, and and who have worked in a profession and taught themselves or were mentored to learn their particular craft in the way that they did and it's really fun to listen to all their stories and what Mm -hmm. i'm and i guess what i'm seeing as as our demographics Mm -hmm. are shifting now and we're seeing um a really large next generations with our millennial generation and our generation z um really dominating the workplace particularly coming up in the next year where they're outpacing by size by size as a as a cohort Um, they're Mm -hmm. bigger than everybody and and what seems to be more in common with them is a formal education, is something, mm. is some kind of background. Now, whether when it comes to practicing safety, that's going to be safety degrees. I think that's an interesting thing to be paying attention to. But the mm. more and more younger people that I'm that I'm talking with and interacting, they have some kind of formal education. It just might not be in safety, and right. and so you know, as a um, as a professional practice, and by by way of, of, of many of us and many people listening being mentors themselves, I think it's really on us to start talking about safety as a STEM discipline. You know, we hear hmm. about STEM practices yep. and STEM education everywhere. Like it's something that we need um, more of in our country and particularly um, helping Helping young women see that they have a place in STEM jobs, and mm-hmm. safety really is that safety really hits on that science and technology and engineering and math. Depending on what your workplace is and where you go into, you might be you might be dabbling in a little bit of all of that, or or really um, refining some of your work in in a particular area with maybe in science or maybe in technology, and and so I and so I think that. I think that we can all do a a service to our, to our practice, our professional practice by really talking about safety and health as a STEM profession. It's part of it.
0: Interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, Now to shift gears just slightly, uh, like a big topic lately uh, in, in the safety world is that EHS managers need to gain more of a voice with their company leadership, you know, Mm -hmm. find that seat at the C-suite table. Now, Mm -hmm. in order to accomplish this, they need to do more than just hone their you know their technical and their subject specific skills they need to brush up on their business or finance financial acumen and also work on soft skills as well things like how to network effectively and be a persuasive advocate of uh, for safety so any advice on how uh, uh safety professionals can pursue this particular kind of professional development
1: Right, and so this is a question that that I get asked quite often and mm. is also a question or a topic rather that comes up whether you're reading it in a blog post or you're attending a conference um, you know it's like how do you how do you get the ear of how do you how do you tap into the leadership as a safety professional right. and I guess and I guess one of those things to start with is assume that your leadership doesn't understand your job
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: Um, don't assume that they get it and they know it. Um, right. I've had I've had CEOs who have who have, who have come to me and said, Jill, I don't understand what that safety role is. We have it in <laughs> our company, but like, how do I measure it? How do I look at it? What do they do? What do I need to be asking from my role to mm. ensure the work is getting done? Because I don't even know what it is. Um, mm-hmm and that's not to say that you know that that leadership is disengaged it's just that they wouldn't know the in- intricacies of everybody's jobs otherwise you know it take any right. sort of practice and so safety professionals can't assume that their leadership understands their work and so it's Mm. for us to educate them but i would caution anyone from you know taking a deep dive education like they need to understand all that you know everything i know about safety as well but really pick and choose what it is that you share Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: how how it is that you that you share it and so i guess anecdotal story when Mm. i when i came out of um when I came into private sector after being with OSHA for a very long time, my work with OSHA was to, you know, investigate, write reports, and document things that pleased the Attorney General's office. Mm. And so I was great at documentation, great at writing, great at making an argument for something that was ironclad. Mm-hmm. And then I come into private practice, and the first thing that I asked for from the administrator of the place that I was working, I shored up my case just like I would um, as a regulator, mm-hmm. as a safety cop, literal. And sure. and the response that I got via email from that from that administrator was two to three bullet points. <laughs> you know, I like, I don't, I can't even read all of this. I don't even know what this is. Like I, I so overeducated and I was like, Oh my gosh, like what a, like a hard stop failure. I am not working for the government anymore. I have to change the way that I approach Mm. and the, and, and also figure out what makes your leadership tick. You know, like Mm -hmm. what sort of things do they want to know about? Like, what kind of questions are they asking? And how do you And how do you find that out if you don't necessarily have a seat at the table well maybe you start by talking with others who do have cursory seats at the table maybe you're talking in your organization with people who have to report to your leadership team often and find out like what sort of metrics do they look at what kind of questions do they ask
0: Mm. and
1: and find out you know what is it what kind of language do they speak so that you can um, craft your information that you're going to share with them, or requests that you make, in a way that they like to consume information. Mm. So, for for example, um, in the company that I was with prior to being with Vivid, um, the leadership team that I had the opportunity to report to, I learned how they consumed information. One of the um, one of the, the CEO of the company liked everything broken down by cost per employee. That's Mm. how he, that's how he wanted to view things. It's the questions that he asked. And so when I was putting together information on workers' compensation costs um, by injury, or if I was putting information together on what it was going to cost to do an initiative, like implement a training system, he would want to know what does that cost per employee? And so I, I knew that every single time I could I could anticipate the question. He would parse things out that way. It's how he wanted to consume information. And then the president of the company, who was president of an administrative role that then um, worked with other uh, with other companies within the organization, he always wanted to know information by which of the eleven companies that we, as an administrative function, support are utilizing this information? How many, what are my outliers? If we are implementing a training system or an SDS management system by way of example, um, which of the companies are actually utilizing what we're paying for? Where are my outliers? Who isn't? So that he could pick up a phone and say, hey, you know, you're wasting our money because you only have a 30% adoption rate for this thing that Jill's trying to do. Mm. And so he wanted to consume information in that way, and so I needed, I knew that when I was putting things together for them, um, I needed to speak the language that they wanted and present things and anticipate the questions that they'd be asking. And so I, I think that um, I think that talking with people within your organization is really important to find mm-hmm. out how do they want to consume things and then if you're if you're um maybe not even in that position yet, so how can you how can you build your your business sense if you will? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe talk with other people who who are in. Job types of jobs that are different from yours, maybe mm. people who have leadership roles. Maybe if you're just getting started and you're new in the safety profession, maybe talking to other people like accountants or talking to operations managers in your sphere of influence, whether that's in your family or your friend network, and having them help educate you in it, mm. or going to sources within your organization. Like it would be, it would be really um, wise. Like let's say you're working in. Education and okay. education, um, you know, classically uses fund accounting practices versus cost accounting practices. Going hmm. to an accountant in your organization um, or to the the, the um, CFO in the organization and say, teach me how you do like the basic 30,000 foot view of accounting in this organization so that I know when I'm asking for money or I'm trying to establish a budget, tell me how you do that. Because like Mm. with fund accounting, which are, you know, I'm going to really simplify this and I'm not an accountant, you know, I picture (laughs) buckets of money, right? Uh Buckets of money and each bucket has a certain assignment and you can't ever dump one bucket into another and so that would be different than cost accounting and so having someone in your organization explain that would help you know how to make an ask so that if you get shut down you would understand why like oh i i asked for it wrong like like i can't do that in this organization because it's just not how they function um from a method from a method perspective and you know i guess i guess as far as pursuing any kind of professional development um, if I'm asked that question personally, what I would love at this stage in my career, if I could go back to school, I'd, I'd get an
0: MBA. Mm, yeah,
1: <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be my thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you think that uh, uh, safety managers should have, you know, sort of like in their back pocket, uh, like an elevator pitch? Should they ever, you know, bump into a chief executive? You know, just basically I can tell him uh, or or her the basics of what I do in, you know, just a minute or two.
1: Yeah, right. And so it might be a question like, how's it going? Or right. what are you up to these days? And mm-hmm. so maybe have those two or three things that are top of mind that you can that you can rattle off.
0: Great. Yeah. So uh, getting more into like the the nitty-gritty of what's out there right now, there's there's a wide array of development and education opportunities out there for EHS professionals. You you mentioned something like there's 900 programs out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also stuff, you know, everything from conferences to webcasts to trade association memberships to, well, podcasts. Mm-hmm. So what sort of opportunities are really standing out right now as far as providing value? And are there any development opportunities that you feel might be being a little bit overlooked by today's safety professionals?
1: Mm, Right, good question. I I think it depends on what phase of your career you're in. Mm. Um, You know, maybe if you're just getting started, it's kind of like drinking from the water hose, right? You wanna try to get as much information as you can but also you don't want to feel overwhelmed so how do you you specifically choose and you know if if I'm just getting started I'd be looking at things that I would be thinking were establishing my baseline and Mm. so you know what would baseline be for me I'd be pursuing um, opportunities it could be at a conference it could be at a podcast it could be you know reading blogs to help me establish my baseline if I don't understand how to find great sources when I'm doing my research and safety? I'd be looking for that. Or if I'm in a particular field of practice, what do I need to know about that particular practice? Mm-hmm. If I'm working in, let's say, the medical field, how do What's my? What does my baseline knowledge need to look like about what? Um, what are safe work practices right now mm-hmm. to prevent sharps inj- injuries? Or what do I need to know about? Um, about exposures my employees might have in um chemotherapy work areas and places where drugs are mixed you know like that'd be my that'd be my baseline i'd want to look into my industry in that regard or Mm. you know if i'm in a if i'm in a warehouse or a shipping place what do i need to know about ergonomics and you know that would be like my baseline where i'd be trying to educate myself in that regard and Mm -hmm. then as our as your career you know continues and you look at conferences and you look at the titles of things and it's like, I've been doing this a long time. Yes. I've seen (laughs) all that stuff. You know, I mean, those, those aren't necessarily always appealing to me, but what's um, maybe what's new that could enhance the career that I'm in right now. And so, you know, where do people go to consume their information? I think it also depends on, on your generation. And I think it also depends on the budget that, um, that you may have or don't have um
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and I and I and I do feel really strongly that if you ask the question was there anything that's being overlooked mm-hmm. um work your network mm-hmm. S- safe safety professionals safety and health professionals are often referred to as a little family yeah because we are kind of a little family there there aren't lots of us and what else is unique about us is we are often solo operators wherever we are Mm -hmm. and so i think that's kind of where we get that little family piece because when we find one another it's like oh i got this brother oh i got this sister i got this cousin in this different place and so we kind Mm -hmm. of stick together as a as a practicing cohort if you will and and i know that um linkedin in particular seems to be a supportive place for safety professionals to be able to to collaborate and get together Mm -hmm. and in our little tiny family we're very willing because our work isn't proprietary to share with one another and Mm. so you know i know that i have my um specific safety professional um, friends and colleagues that I go to for specific requests or if I'm going to run something by someone and they know the same about me. And so it, and it's also remembering, you know, don't be the person who's always asking, but be the person who's offering their information as well and continue to build that network over your career that will also be that place where you can do literally your own professional development, custom to where you're at in your career and the topics that you're working on in your job at a given time and that's not to say that you know trade associations and conferences and and places like assp or the national safety council or the Mm -hmm. board of certified safety professionals they're all absolutely wonderful sources to go and i think that they're um they're the common default places to go but don't Mm -hmm. forget it you know don't forget about just working your own network and finding those favorite maybe bloggers or you know your favorite podcasts like we're (laughs) like we're doing like we're doing now um, where you can do an education for yourself Mm
0: -hmm. so on on the flip side of all these opportunities are there Are there any opportunities to sort of be wary of, you know, Mm. are there any instances of educational, you know, quote unquote opportunities that may be perhaps predatory, like promising credentials, certifications or other career boost claims that aren't really recognized in the field or provide actual value?
1: right well the, the easy one that comes to mind right away are um, you know people who are offering OSHA 10 and 30 courses who are not authorized trainers
0: uh, and uh-huh.
1: a- apparently it's a big enough deal that OSHA actually has published a watch list
0: mm. of
1: of people that you should be wary of and don't take a course from them because they're not authorized to give that sort of certification and they put it on their website. I always find that kind of interesting. Like, wow, does that really happen?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: a- apparently it does. It's a big enough deal that they publish a list. Wow. Um, but <laughs> but, other, but otherwise when you're looking at, you know, what should you be wary of? I think I go back to what I had said at the beginning of really look at your source. Um, mm-hmm. when you're When you're reading something, before you're going to take it as as truth, you know, really look at the source. Is is what you're reading in an article, in a blog, was it written by an actual safety professional um, who's citing good sources? Or is it someone who was writing to get information into the ether? Um, to be able to um draw people to a company you know it could be a professional who could be a professional writer who's just loading some kind of text with um with the words that you want to search for when you're when you're searching something in google and Uh and so i'd be wary of that you know i'd scroll to the bottom find out who's 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 the source what are they what are they um what are they using as sources uh, before you start um, gobbling up the information and wasting your time, only to find out, oh man, <laughs> you know, this, yeah. was, this wasn't, a, this, was a, this was incredible. And then as far as vendors go, I think it can be a both and. Um, mm-hmm. I think um, vendors can be great resources, they can be people who become your trusted advisor, um, and they cannot. And I think it's I think it's doing a gut check and again asking about credibility. I know that mm. I've gotten some great um, education. You know, when I was first trying to teach myself about about arc flash and in particular about um, fire rated clothing, I went to a vendor, mm. and the vendor that I took free education from um, happened to have people who were topical experts, and they talked about why it was they were an expert and where they got their credentials from. And I learned so much from them. Um, mm-hmm. same, same is true with um, an electrical safety company um, that I recently partnered with on something. And, you know, they hang their shingle out as electrical safety experts. Okay, well, what makes you an expert? Tell me more about that. And I think it's very fair um, for us as uh, safety and health professionals when we're, when we're meeting vendors who... Are maybe offering free webcasts or uh, free education seminars that you could go to to really ask those questions before you say yes to those opportunities like tell me more about your expertise tell me more about um, why you're an expert in this field Mm -hmm. um, so that you're not wasting your time and and um, and I think I think that's just a healthy uh, you know tell me more is a healthy question to ask in so many aspects of life Um, Mm -hmm. But um, you know, you're right. Are there are there things to be leery of? Yes. Are there are there wonderful vendors and providers um, who can become your trusted advisor and actually are topical ex- experts? Absolutely. But I think you mm-hmm. need to really ask those questions and ferret that out.
0: Absolutely. So, what what other obstacles might an ehs professional face when pursuing his or her professional development i mean i imagine that these can vary quite a bit depending on you know the size of uh, your company or you know how much management invests in or buys into these opportunities so what are the what are the big problems and the obstacles that need to be considered and how can they be overcome
1: right and so um i think figuring out early on in your career that professional development is really necessary in this field, necessary mm-hmm. by way of um, you can't know it all. <laughs> right. And right. None, of, none of us do, and it's a constant learning curve. Um, mm-hmm. But also, also setting that expectation early with your employer. And, mm. and, you know, some employers are going to have professional development baked into an employee's career path. And that's mm. fantastic. Some are not. Yeah, um, right. I knew that I know that my first job with the government, with OSHA, they had a specific percentage of time each month that they wanted you to be spending on professional development. And you had to log oh. that on a report as to what you were doing. And there was oh, wow. a certain allocation. Well, that hasn't happened in my career since. Right. And, so, and so and so it's. It's I think determining and de- help and defining with whomever your manager is early on, and asking that question like what does professional development look like here, and if the response is, uh, I don't know, and it's <laughs> like c- quiet, well then you need to work on that together, like right. you know ex you know talk about that like what do you think would be an acceptable amount of time to spend on professional development is there any budget for that what might that look like and then bring a solution to them you know Mm -hmm. when when you're working on that think about you know is there a conference that I want to go to might be one thing is there Mm -hmm. some really specific topical um course that I need to take on something specific to my work. Maybe maybe you just started a job and process safety management is a giant piece and you don't really know anything about that and you mm. want to take a week-long course somewhere and learn about that, then how can you you know how can you get the funds for that and how can you ask for that Mm. um and and i think i think by way of professional development i don't think it always needs to be about going to a conference either when you're Mm. when you're helping you know trying to make that ask like what can ongoing professional development look like i think um, it would also probably be wise to ask and give maybe examples like I've researched some stuff with our insurance broker or with our workers compensation carrier and they offer these kind of courses whether it's a webcast or whether Mm -hmm. it's something that's in person and maybe you need to travel for it but it's free like could i take the time to do that and could i be reimbursed for the mileage you know it's free (laughs) but could i do that you know so i think there's lots Mm -hmm. of ways you can build your own um professional development portfolio that you can Mm -hmm. put to a man to your manager whoever that is and say you know this is what i'm going to need this year and, um, you know, can we continue having these conversations year over year? because you know growing in my profession is important to me, and it's going to be important for me to be successful in this organization and here's what
0: that looks like. yeah, that's great, so. As EHS, you know, it's expanding as, as a field and safety culture is becoming more widely viewed as an integral part of organizational culture and learning and development culture. So what do you think this will mean for professional development? Do you think EHS education will spread maybe even beyond its function and become just as important to other professionals in the workforce as a whole?
1: hmm yeah and you know i think well, that's that, what we hope right 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 and i think that safety professionals maybe we've got the corner on that culture thing already just mm. as as individual pr- people in our practice um you know safety professionals um by and large if i'm going to generalize the profession
0: mm-hmm. are
1: people who are a culture of caring right you know it it That's usually why we got into it, is that we genuinely care about human beings. Of course, we're going to have exceptions to that, like we do in any (laughs) practice. Um, Uh But I think as a whole, we are people who genuinely care about, you know, sending people home whole and healthy, and we invest all of our energy into that. And we know that in order for us to be successful in what we're doing, we're building relationships with people. We're not going to be successful if we're being the safety cop who everybody Mm -hmm. is afraid of. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're not going to be effective, um, you know, being, being timid either, but we are going to be effective when we're when we're building relationships with people and our employees know that we genuinely care and so does that transfer across the company into lots of other avenues of a healthy corporate culture it absolutely Mm -hmm. does safety is just an element of a healthy corporate culture and 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 so um, and so i think that we as safety professionals can um, can hold our hand up when our companies are working on corporate culture, and really talk about what we do in our practice day to day, and how we build those those healthy relationships um, in the work that we're already doing. And so when I when I think about um, when I think about my own company and the the culture that we have, and the culture that we have that we that we say is a healthy one. Um, you know, how do we do that and it's, it's the same as we would with safety. Um, it's looking at our employees and how can we be supportive and caring and transparent in what we're sharing with them and, and how are we meeting them where they are. We had recently um, what we call an all-hands meeting, which, you know, many mm-hmm. companies practice all-hands where you get everybody together, and yep. um, the president of my company um, had specific information that he wanted to be transparent about and update our employees on and and talk about where we're going in the next quarter and in the next year, and then he invited two other people to share information with the company. I happen to be one of them, and one of my um, co-workers happened to be another one. And the mm-hmm. three of us got together and we really talked about how are we going to craft this message, not craft as in to be manipulative, but craft as in how can we ensure that our employees are able to consume what we're sharing with them in a manner that that they readily take in information. And so my president said, Jill, you're good at talking to people and meeting them at their heart which mm. you know this is my safety and background and my mm-hmm. other coworker, you're really pragmatic so people who need to see like things that are sort of sketched out and pragmatic you're going to be good at that and then um And then he said, and and what am I what am I missing? What are we missing here? And I said, well, maybe you need a beat on the culture of the company right now, as in how our employees feeling about their day to day work right now. And he's like, that's right. OK, so how do we do that? Well, we got together with what we call our culture connection teams, which is really an actual thing that we have in our company where employees are are working cross functionally across across all departments on 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 getting to know one another and and talking about their work and so we met with that cohort of people when he was able to ask that question like give me a beat on our employees right now how are people feeling are they excited are there any struggles anywhere what are they talking about when you're getting together so that i can um weave that into into the message that we are that we're that we're putting out at this all hands meeting, and so he was a listener and incorporated all of that into an all hands, and so all hands became not only an update about where we're going and where we are and what we can look forward to, um, but it was also you know the the genuine care of our employees and addressing things that matter to mm-hmm. them, and the feedback that we got afterward from employees was was sort of amazing. It was exactly what we had hoped for. It was like oh, and I really loved when so-and-so said this because I totally understood what he was saying when he put out, you know, like a bullet-pointed list and showed a path and progression, and I love that. Or on other mm-hmm. people who are like, oh, my eyes kind of glazed over when he started with that <laughs> stuff. But, man, Jill, I loved what you said because it's so true what you said about X, Y, and Z, about our, you know, and, and so, mm-hmm. or the, you know, the president's uh, got the, oh, I really trust that guy because... He knows us and he listened to us and that's what builds healthy culture, but it's also paying attention to, um, you know, well, how do you craft that message? How do you say things in a way that hits all of your employees where they are? Um, By way of what kind of learners are they? How do they, how do they take information? And so can safety have a seat at that table? Absolutely. And I think in fact that we can lead that because it's what we do every single day. In, in genuinely caring for people and listening to them. And so I, I absolutely think we can lead that initiative.
0: Definitely. Uh, any, any final words of advice for uh, our audience of EHS professionals on uh, just what you think is the, a, a key factor in helping them pursue their professional development?
1: Um, by way of f- final thoughts on what should employees be thinking about for their professional development, Maybe it's, if you're, especially if you're starting out, is to acknowledge that the, the work of safety and health isn't a transactional one. Mm. Um, it's, it's, um, it's more about, yes, you have to know the ins and outs of the practice of the place that you're working, of course, but a successful safety professional um, needs to continue focusing on, on people. Um, just as much as they're focusing on the the practice itself and the day to day things of keep, keeping people safe, it's this balancing act. And I think um, I I think the success is, is doing is doing both and finding your niche in that, and asking for help, and mm-hmm. um, and also working your network and finding your mentors, no matter how long you've been at it. Well,
0: that's great. Yeah, those are some really good ideas for uh, environment, health, and safety professionals who are looking to further their professional development. So thank you again, Jill, for joining us today on EHS On Tap.
1: You're welcome, Justin. Thank you for having
0: me. You're very welcome. And to our listeners, be sure to keep an eye out for new episodes of EHS on Tap and keep reading the EHS Daily Advisor to stay on top of your safety and environmental compliance obligations, get the latest and best practices, and keep your finger on the pulse of all things related to the EHS industry. Until next time, this is Justin Scase for EHS on Tap.